Hi everyone, welcome back to Understand the Bible. Now, what do you think most people out there think being a Christian is all about? Now, I don't know uh, what the majority of people think, but I think a common view is that Christians are just kind of do-gooders and holier than thou. You may have heard people use those expressions before. You just think, you know, being a Christian is just about trying really hard to live a good life and perhaps even being a bit disapproving of other people you know, thinking that other people are in the wrong, thinking that you're a bit moral, morally superior because of the good things that you do and thinking that you're a bit better than other people. So you might think of someone like Mary Whitehouse, who was very vocal for a while about the moral degradation in society and would often talk about things happening on the TV or things happening in society. And she was known for being very down about, uh, about society and the moral degradation. Now, regardless of whether she was right or not, I think it's certainly true that there is a, that's the perception I think some people have of Christians as being holier than thou, but being disapproving of other people for not living up to their standards. But is that the way that it should be? Is that what it's really about, being a Christian? And this brings us on to our topic today, because, you know, there was a group like that in the first century there was a group like that in the time of the Bible. And that's the group that Paul, as we, we will look at this passage in Galatians chapter 2, that's the group that Paul was sort of talking about. You know, people who thought that they were morally superior and people who looked down on everyone else who didn't quite live up to their standards. There was a group like that. And we'll find out about that. This is video number three or podcast number three as we're thinking about uh, justification and as we're thinking about particularly today about how we're justified only through Christ that's what this is about and we're looking at Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 21 and as per usual I will read out various bits as we go through but it might be helpful if you pause at this point and I'll put the link down below go on to Bible Gateway read the thing first it's not that long and then you can come back and rejoin us and uh, listen to the rest so um you might want to do that before before we get going. So what we read as uh, as we begin is that um, Paul, this uh, letter was written by the Apostle Paul, and he came at, uh, to Antioch. And it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Cephas and Peter are the same person. It means the same thing. And that's who he's referring to. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So what he's saying here is that Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but he, because of pressure from a certain Jewish group, he was beginning to withdraw from them and not, not eat together with them. Now, let's just put a little bit of context on this, because this is important. And this is uh, helpful to understand. So in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So one of the things that the Jewish people of the day accused Jesus of was eating with sinners. And um, that would include Gentiles, you know, people who they thought didn't live up to God's standards. People who were bad people, they were the good people and the sinners were the bad people. And that included all the Gentiles. The second passage that 
uh, gives us a bit of background to what was going on in Galatians chapter 2 and this is really important as well is Acts uh, chapter 10 verses 9 to 16 and um, what happens here is that Peter has a vision and he sees a sheet being let down with all sorts of animals and a voice comes and says get up Peter kill and eat and Peter says surely not I have never eaten anything impure or unclean and this was the problem especially with eating meals with the Gentiles that the Jews had particular food laws and the Gentiles didn't and that made the Gentiles unclean so the Jews wouldn't eat with them um, but actually then uh, the Lord says do not call anything impure that God has made clean so in this way Peter was told specifically by God that all foods were clean you know that the old Jewish requirements for um, refraining from particular foods had been removed that there weren't any particular foods anymore that were unclean and so it was okay to eat with the Gentiles that was one of the implications of this it was okay to eat with the Gentiles and so this is why Paul is so hard on Peter well not hard on Peter but he comes down very strongly on this because he says and this is verse 13 the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray so other people were being corrupted by this and then I said when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas in front of them all you are a Jew yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs so he says look this is you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel now this is the thing that it's an issue of the gospel he says it's a fundamental issue of the gospel which we know is core to the Christian faith now this isn't an issue which is you know people are free to disagree about but this goes to the heart of what it means to be a Christian he says and so Paul continues on then in Galatians 2 15 and 16 we who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles so that's that's how the Jews thought of Gentiles at the time that they were sinful you know they the Jews were the good people the Gentiles were the sinful people that's that's how they thought and this is why Paul uses that language he says um, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified so what Paul is saying here is really that there are two ways of being justified the first way is by the works of the law that is doing everything that the law requires us to do it's 100% obedience 100% of the time that is what God requires of us 100% obedience 100% of the time you can't get away with 99% obedience 99% of the time that's not enough it has to be a hundred percent and and Paul quite rightly says no one is going to be justified that way because we are all sinners we are all in the same boat we all fall short in any number of ways every day no one would be justified that way he says and that's why he says actually we all need to have faith in Jesus Christ even the Jewish people needed uh, at this time needed to have faith in Christ even the Jewish people who considered themselves to be morally pure who considered themselves to be the righteous ones they too needed to have faith in Jesus Christ because by following the law they weren't going to be made righteous so what Paul is saying is that 
there are only two ways of being righteous before God. One of them is by obeying the law. And if we do that, we need to obey the whole law 100% of the time. The other way is by having faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, we know that the only person who was righteous before God, sort of on his own account, was, was Jesus, who was perfect, who lived that perfect life. No one else, no one, no other human being is, is capable of living that kind of perfect life. And that's what we've thought about over the last couple of weeks. And so Paul, he kind of anticipates an objection they have. And he says, look, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? So what he's saying is, doesn't that mean if Christ justifies sinners, doesn't that mean Christ in some way promotes sin? And the way that he, he reasons after this is he's saying, look, I'll tell you who actually promotes sin. He says, absolutely not. This is a very strong way of putting it. It doesn't come across so much in English Bibles, but sometimes it's translated God forbid. You know, a very strong way of saying, no, absolutely no way. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So what he's saying is, look, if I try to uh, achieve righteousness through the good things that I do, that I, I really would be a lawbreaker. I really would be a sinner. So actually, he's saying it's the opposite way round to the way that they were thinking. You know, they were thinking, oh, if, if we're justified by faith in Christ alone, doesn't that may mean that Christ promotes sin? No, no, Paul's saying it's, it's the other way round. Actually, it's the people who try to be justified by works of the law, by their kind of obedience to the law, who are the lawbreakers here. It's the, the opposite way round to the way that they were thinking. And this is what he says, that the through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I long, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what he says is actually that the law just simply shows us how bad we are. The law is there not so that we can obey it and achieve righteousness by obeying the law, but the law is actually simply there to show us our own sinfulness. You see how great it is when Paul said, I needed to die to the law in order that I might live through Christ. You know, through the law I die to the law. That's that's how big a change that we need. Not simply to try harder, to try a bit more, to obey better. But we need to die to our old self, to that sinful self, as we were thinking about with original sin. We need to die in order to achieve new life in Christ. That's the, the depth of the change that we need in order to satisfy the law, in order to be righteous before God. It's not simply trying harder because we, that, that will not work. We can't do it. The, the law simply shows us that we can't. It's not there to, to be um, obeyed in the sense that we need to do everything in order to be righteous with God. But it just shows us actually that we, we can never do, we can't do it. And the thing is that we need a deeper obedience. You know, we need more obedience than the law, not less. And this is the point that Paul is making, you know, that the law is just showing us where we go wrong. But actually, we need more obedience to God rather than less. And we need a greater obedience, which we can never do by ourselves. You know, if we can't even obey the law, if we can't even do the, the bare minimum, if you like, then we could never do the kind of obedience which God requires, the, the life of love. Uh, love towards God and love towards our neighbour, which God requires of us. 
And the thing is that we need Jesus because we can't do it ourselves. And that's the point of this last verse. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The reason Christ had to come and die, the reason why it was necessary for him to die, was that because, because we couldn't do it ourselves. Now, if righteousness could be gained through the law, then why bother? Then we might as well just obey and we might as well just do that. But actually, Jesus Christ came to die to do what we could not do ourselves. He came to save us from sin. He came to save us from ourselves, to save us from the wrath of God in order that we might live for him. We might have new life, not just kind of to try a bit harder, but might have new life and a new power to obey God in a way that we couldn't before just by our own efforts. So let's draw a few conclusions. Let me read you Article 11 of the 39 Articles. As I was um, saying the previous couple of times, we're going through those at the moment. This is Article 11 in the Modern Language Version. We are accounted righteous before God solely on account of the merit of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ through faith and not on account of our own good works or of what we deserve. Consequently, the teaching that we are justified by faith alone is a most, a most wholesome and comforting doctrine. So we are accounted righteous only because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his merit, which is given for us. And this is by faith alone. Again, not because of any merit in ourselves, but you know, it's like faith is the empty hand by which we grasp the promises of God. If it helps, one analogy that Martin Luther used is that of being like a king marrying a prostitute. Let me read you a little excerpt from The Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves. I think I mentioned one of his books last time. Um, he, he writes a lot about the Reformation, actually. He's very helpful on that. Let me read you a bit from The Unquenchable Flame. At the heart of the freedom of a Christian, and that's something that Martin Luther actually wrote, which Michael Reeves is referring to, is a story of a king who marries a prostitute. Luther's allegory for the marriage of King Jesus and the wicked sinner. When they marry, the prostitute becomes, by status, a queen. It is not that she made her behaviour queenly and so won the right to the king's hand. She was and is a wicked harlot through and through. However, when the king made his marriage vow, her status changed. Thus, she is simultaneously a prostitute at heart and a queen by status. In just the same way, Luther saw that the sinner, on accepting Christ's promise in the gospel, is simultaneously a sinner at heart and righteous by status. What has happened is the joyful exchange in which all that she has, her sin, she gives to him, and all that he has, his righteousness, blessedness, life and glory, he gives to her. Thus, she can confidently display her sins in the face of death and hell and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ in whom I believe has not sinned, and all his is mine and all mine is his. This was Luther's understanding of justification by faith alone. And it is in that security, he argued, that the harlot actually then starts to become queenly at heart. This is the wonderful good news of justification by faith alone, which is that God doesn't love us because we're good, because we're worthy, because we make ourselves worthy, because we do enough good works, because we do enough good things to earn his affection. God doesn't love us like that. God loves us first. And that love is what changes us. That love is what changes us. That's the wonderful good news of justification by faith alone. 
Maybe it might help to use another analogy as well. For example, if you have a boss who is a very hard boss, who is always criticising you and who is always wanting to, to punish you for every little mistake that you make, you think about that. Now, are you going to want to serve that boss? You'll probably try hard not to avoid, you know, to avoid um, them criticising you, but you won't really go above and beyond the call of duty. You just try and do the minimum that you need to do in, in, to avoid being criticised by them, but there's no real relationship there. But imagine you have a boss who's kind and generous and who supports you and who wants you to flourish and do well. Now, I've worked for bosses of both kinds and I can tell you that the second kind of boss is actually the kind of boss that you'll want to please, the kind of boss who you'll go the extra mile for, who you'll put in the extra hours for, who you'll try your hardest for, because you respect them, you like them, you want to make them pleased uh, with you and you want to do a good job. And it's the same with God. You know, when we understand God to be good and loving, then we'll want to please him, we'll want to serve him. And that leads us to obey him and serve him in a kind of deeper, more, more natural, more loving way than we would just as if we thought God was going to come down hard, hard on us when we step out of line. That is the wonderful message of justification by faith alone. And it makes a difference in our lives. It makes a difference, as I've already said, in, in how we serve God and how we think about serving him. It should also make a difference in the way that we love and serve others. Because if we think that we've been forgiven and given everything by God, then we will want to be forgiving and generous to other people. And I'm often struck, actually, I was just been, been reading through my own sort of personal Bible reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and that includes the, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus highlights when, when he, he says the Lord's Prayer, and then he highlights after that, for if you forgive those who have sinned against you, then God will forgive you. But if you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. That's basically what Jesus says, and he highlights that after the Lord's Prayer. And this is the thing that we who have been justified freely by God's grace, you know, we who've been forgiven everything, and who've been loved by God without our own having to earn it, without being worthy, then we should treat others in that same way. Now we should treat other people with love in the way that God has treated us, not having to earn it, but actually giving love despite the fact that people may be unworthy of it. And I often notice this, you know, that people in the world, often they, you have to earn their affections before being called worthy. And I think this is especially true, actually, sadly, in the abortion debate. You know, how even the weakest, most vulnerable members of our society, the unborn, tiny fetuses, should be worthy of our respect and our love, even though they've done absolutely nothing to earn it. And that's, that's the thing. It's God's love is despite the fact that we're not worthy of it, despite the fact that we don't have to earn it. God loves us all the same. And it's our response to his love which kind of makes us uh, makes us flourish. And the final thing is that we must be sure not to add to the gospel. I remember going to a conference a few years ago called New Word Alive, and there was someone there, an Australian Bible teacher called David Cook, and he gave a story. He was, I can't remember the context, but basically he was in a cafe. He went into a cafe to have a cup of tea. He was, he'd been out somewhere early morning, I think, gone into a cafe to have a cup of tea, and there was a group there of sort of bikers, people dressed in their leathers, and you know, with like skinhead haircuts and, and what have you. And he thought, oh, I better give them a wide berth. You know, I better not, you know, they might get angry or what have you. 
So he went and sat up at the, the counter, had his cup of tea, and one of them came over to him and said, yeah, you're David Cook, aren't you? And it turns out that they have been having a Bible study, and I think even using some of his Bible notes, I don't know. But the point is that he'd judged them by appearances, when actually he shouldn't have judged them by appearances, he should have judged them only by the gospel, which is, have we accepted the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, accepted forgiveness of sins, and turned to him? And, you know, the Bible is the rule book, as it were, that, you know, the Bible is the only standard that we have. And we shouldn't add to that. You know, we shouldn't make it the gospel plus dressing in the way that I dress or listening to the kind of music that I like or anything. These things are not important. You, know, you can be a Christian and have different kinds of music and different kinds of dress and all of those kind of things. Be free to be an individual. But the only standard that we have at the end of the day is what God has given us, the way God has given us to live in the word. And that's what we should judge people on, not on extra things, if you like. It's important how we treat other people based on the gospel alone, not on our own ideas about what it should be, what should or shouldn't be, and what a Christian should or shouldn't be like. So I hope that you found this video helpful. Um, just a couple of quick notes at the end of this video, uh, housekeeping in terms of understand the Bible. The first thing I'd just like to say, I haven't mentioned this, but understand the Bible is um, a ministry I, I provide for free, but I don't and get paid for doing it. So if you would like to support Understand the Bible, then I'll put the link down below and please do have a look at that link and see if there's any ways that you can support Understand the Bible. I'm not simply talking about financially, there are other, other things as well, prayer and in terms of sharing as well. So please do have a look at that. Uh, the other thing is uh, the discussion is now open and all of these videos will have uh, a discussion page or if there isn't, you can start one and you can go there and you can join in the discussion about these videos. It's just sort of a centralised place where you can talk about things if you want to ask questions or discuss it with other Christians. So I hope that you found this video helpful. I hope to see you again for another one of these videos very soon. Please do subscribe to the channel if you want to be sure to see uh, all of the videos as they come in. Thanks very much for watching and God bless.